Hello everyone and welcome to the Commander's Forge. My name is Andy Bentley and the Forge is an area for me to talk about magic, commander, and anything else that I deem necessary. And today I kind of want to start off with a discussion that's been going around online and that is Green's ability to produce treasure tokens. I get the side of the argument saying that green should be able to do it because green is the mana color. I get that. But I still lay on the side of the argument that green is the anti-artifact color. So it's just odd to me that they're making mana through treasures. It, it just is. Now, I gave that really a slide with Old Gnawbone. Because it, Old Gnawbone's a dragon. So thematically it makes sense. Dragons like to hoard. I, I got it. But in New Capenna there's a mythic called Bootlegger's Stockpile. Which is just the stupidest card. It's, uh, it's a green enchantment that lets your lands tap to make a treasure token. It is one more in the infinite line of, could this not be a white card? And to even go further on that, Morrow completely upended everything by saying that red is the primary color for treasures, and then green and black are the secondary colors for treasures, and blue is the tertiary color for treasures. He did not even mention white. I, I get that people like green. Green is supposed to be, you know, the easy color to play. I get that. And I'm not going to deny that white didn't get some powerful cards. I can't, because it's not true. They did get powerful cards. But why... Why does it feel like White isn't just playing catch-up? It's still getting further behind with what is still being added to the other colors. And it just kind of doesn't sit right with me. And honestly, that might be why a good portion of why Nuka Pena just hasn't been hitting for me. Don't get me wrong. It was a fun sealed environment. But I just... <clears throat> I find I'm not terribly interested in much of the set. And a lot of that stems from the bootlegger stockpile, the heads of the families being either underwhelming or things I just don't like the look of. And it seems just very, very much on the miss side of hit or miss. Now, yes, there are good things in the set. Like, I like the new Urabrask. I like the Jaxus card. I like 
that the triomes are getting completed. And I will say there are a few legendary creatures that kind of grew on me, especially playing them in sealed. And I'll go over those more in the second part of the podcast. I just wish that wizards would look at white and allow it to at least catch up to the other colors before it decided to push the other colors further ahead. All right, that's going to do it for this part. I will be right back and hopefully we can talk about something a little chippier. Hey, I just want to take a minute to tell you about my Patreon. I know times are hard for everybody and I know it isn't easy to shuffle around bills and stuff. Believe me, I know that. But if you would like to help support the podcast and me, you can find the links to my Patreon in my link tree, which is always put into the description of either the video or the audio, wherever you're listening to it. It would really mean the world to me. Honestly, I'm just struggling to make ends meet most weeks, but that's it. That's all. If you want to help, the links will be where you can find them. And welcome back. Now, me and my cousin played in a two-headed giant pre-release event, which we usually partner together, and one of us ends up playing a heavier creature deck which is usually me, and my cousin typically ends up playing more of a controly deck because that's just kind of what we both like to do, and there's usually a good way to play both. Now, for this pre-release, you got to choose a family, and you got your kit had a, a promo pack that replaced one of the packs of the set that was geared towards whatever family you chose. I went with Riveteers, and my cousin went with Obscura. And we built some pretty gnarly decks. So my cousin had a slightly more controly uh, counterspell, draw cards, flyers kind of deck. And I built a low to the ground, cheap, efficient removal, get in with creature deck. And it worked really well. We ended up going two one and one. And the loss and the tie were both extremely close. Now, I can point out there are a lot of decent commons and uncommons in the set. And we found that the gameplay is actually pretty good for three colors based on a couple of lands. And those are the lands that enter, immediately sacrifice themselves and get a basic into play tapped, and you gain a life. So, I had two Cabaretti Courtyards and two Riveteers Outlooks, which hit, the Riveteer Outlook hit all three of my lands, and then the Cabaretti Courtyard hit two of my lands, which my deck was mostly red, and then an even split of green and black. So... It just kind of worked out. And then with my deck being the slightly more aggressive one, we kind of limited how many tap lands I was playing. 
So I ended up not playing any of the ones that enter tapped, and then you can pay a price to uh, sacrifice them to draw a card. And I still think our my deck turned out perfectly fine the way it was. My cousin, on the other hand, was playing the tap lands that he could eventually sack to draw a card. And they worked great in his deck because it was supposed to be the slower controlling deck. But when I was going through my promo pack and I looked through it, I noticed I had two Riveteer Charms. Which, uh, with it being new, are uh, black, red, green for an instant you choose one. So either a target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker they control with the highest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Or exile the top three cards of your library until your next end step. You may play those cards. Or you can exile a player's library. This card helped us out of three situations that we were stuck in. Once, it got rid of a blocker to allow us to get in for lethal. And then two other times, I just didn't have anything else better to do. So I kept my man up and looked at the top three cards and then had access to them for my whole next turn. And both times that I did that, I was able to play a land and cast a spell or play a land and cast both spells. And it's just extremely versatile. Now, on top of that, we also got uh, Agnes the Dragon's Lash, which is the one, and then it has either the hybrid red-black, then a red, and then the hybrid red-green. Viachina Warrior, 3-3 three, three with haste, and whenever creature you control with haste attacks, create a tapped creature token. Now... Agnes was the only creature I had that natively had haste, and then I had a couple of things with Blitz. The 3-3 body was not the biggest, and it would normally just kind of get in for one attack or two attacks, make a couple of treasures, and then die, but a lot of times that facilitated me getting to my six drops, which I ran two of. And it just kind of was a great versatile creature that was also just a beat stick if you dropped it on turn four. Uh, Unleash the Inferno was a decent removal spell that, well, it never hit like a meaningful artifact, was able to just remove something big and then destroy a treasure token. And then my my removal was pretty sweet. Uh, I had a light em up, which is two mana, one in a red for a sorcery. It has casualty two, and if you sacrifice a creature of power two or greater, uh, you can copy the spell. And then it does two damage to target creature or planeswalker. And I think my best thing that I did with the light em up was use it to get rid of a double striker with a shield counter because I sacrificed the creature, hit it for the one, and then hit it again so that it would actually die. And sure, maybe I two for one to myself, but that thing would have been more trouble than it was worth, and blocking it wouldn't have killed it, so I would have lost my creature anyway. 
good old strangle, single red for a sorcery, three damage to target creature or planeswalker. And then I was running two torch breaths, which are X and a red for an instant. It costs two less to cast if it targets a blue permanent. Can't be countered, and it deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker. And yeah, my deck just kind of did its thing. I would play the creatures and turn them sideways until my cousin could get a, a flyer or two on the field. And we had enough tricks that we could swing comfortably into most boards and know that we were going to come out on top. But I have to talk about the number one card that was in my deck. And I have to do the voice. Even though doing the voice all last night destroyed my voice by the end of the night. So his name is Mr. Orfeo the Boulder. But every time I cast him, I said... Mr. Oreo, the boulder, feels conflicted about fighting a small blind girl. <laughs> Which, to be fair, was just a talking point and it made people laugh. But then we realized something about uh, Orfeo's ability. So, he is one, a black, a red, and a green for a 2-4 Rhino Warrior. And whenever you attack, double target creature's power until end of turn. So as long as I attack, I can double any creature's power. We found the ground getting gummed up a lot, which kind, kind of tends to happen in the two-headed giant sealed. With my cousin playing flyers, sure, most of them were two ones. But when you're putting them on a clock of, I'm swinging in the air with you know, six power because I'm going to double one of them to four. Mr. Oreo is uh, one of the legendaries that kind of grew on me as I saw it played on my side and against me. Now, unfortunately, I did not end up pulling the Urbrex that I was hoping to or the Jaxus that I was hoping to. But in seeing the two legendaries I did have play, I think I might be building them. And for Mr. Orfeo, I think I already have the deck template built. Because I have Tuya Bearclaw built, and that is just a gruel Eldrazi deck. And now I'm going to live the dream of attacking somebody for 24 with an Ulamog. And yeah. Now, for Agnes the Dragon's Lash, I have this idea to just make a mono-red Hasty Boy deck. Yeah, that's about it. We had a great time. I'm not doing any more events because the bank account is, well, still the bank account. Uh, that said, uh, if you would like to help support the podcast, uh, you can like share subscribe on whatever place you're listening to this and if you would like to help grow the podcast as always you can go to my patreon and my link tree and for as little as a dollar you can say i support the forge and as always i will see you next time thank you for listening 
All of my links can be found in my link tree in the description below. I would like to thank Ian Foss and Cody Mulpey of the band The Crypt for allowing me to use music for my opening and ending, along with Nate and Erica Jacobs for making my original logo. And I would also like to thank Christina McNichol for creating my new logo. And I'll see you next time.